Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another exciting night of NBA basketball. With the first pick, the Detroit Pistons select Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State University. Chandler again. Oh, what a block by Max Seal! My goodness! The Pistons are digging in. They got the depth. They got the big men. They got the better basketball team. No doubt about it. There's Jaden playing the passing lane. Sky's a jam. Dynamite dunk and the crowd loves it. Pistons need a three and they have just under three seconds to do it. Here's Chauncey Phillips. Here it is. Fans, welcome back to another edition of the Palace Pistons Podcast, part of the, the Believe Network. I'm your host. We haven't heard in a while. Mike Angulano and joining me is the full crew this week, Jasper Apollonia and Aaron Johnson. Fellas, how are we feeling post-lottery? Sick. I'm sick. I've been sick all week. In um, many ways. The lottery didn't help with that. Not one bit. So... Fighting through, you know, there was no chance I was going to miss this week's show. I'm going to try to be more concise when I speak this week, which is something that I struggle with, as I as I told you guys pre, pre-recording. So I, I'm sick. I'm sick of the piston shit and uh, ready to do this podcast. Oh, <laughs> uh, we're starting off good. <laughs> yeah, you know, Aaron can't relate to being a, a little overwordy. That's just not something that I have a problem with at all either. But um. Yeah, uh, I I told the fans that we would play Johnny Cash Hurt if the Pistons got the fifth pick, and I hurt myself sometimes. <laughs> That's how I am feeling right now, man. Holy crap! Um, devastating, absolutely devastating. I I don't think any of us had any illusions that the league was going to let the Pistons get the number one overall pick two out of three years, uh, but five is that's really rough you you were still hoping for two or three where you'd have your choice of of scoot henderson or brandon miller and now we are in the second tier of prospects guys um but the good news is i've been doing a little research and turns out that this second tier of prospects they're pretty good and the pistons have a real shot at getting a genuine difference maker at number five in this year's draft so if you guys are ready I'm ready. Uh, I, I certainly am not going to be placing any bets on the Pistons uh, draft pick this year because it could go one of like six different ways. But if people do want to place bets, Mike, how would they be able to do that? Why, Jasper, of course, they could use Bet Online. Oh, bet my online, goodness. Bet Online is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's NBA playoffs. And Bet Online is always your sports information headquarters this season. And they've got you covered for all your sports wagering needs from basketball, MLB, hockey, right to UFC, and boxing. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use the promo code BLEAV, that's B L E A V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus. 
on your first deposit. Again, head on over to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on action and use the promo code Believe B-L-E-A-V, to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first d- deposit using BetOnline. BetOnline, where the game starts. Do we really have to, I guess, I guess we really have to talk about this, don't we? Um, I wish we had better things to discuss when it comes to the draft lottery, but the lottery happened on Tuesday, despite having the best odds, which is what, 14.5%? People act like we had 60% odds. I believe it's 14.1, right? 14.1? Yeah. Well, the Pistons pulled like zero out of seven pulls, so really they had 0% odds. Despite having the quote-unquote best odds to land the number one pick in the draft and the right to draft Victor Wembanyama, the best prospect since LeBron, the Pistons will instead pick fifth, which was the worst possible outcome but they could have pulled on lottery night. So they move to five. San Antonio will pick one. They get the right to draft the third generational big that they have ever drafted behind David Robinson and Tim Duncan. Charlotte will pick second. Portland will pick third. The Rockets, who have the same odds as the Pistons, will pick fourth. And Detroit will pick fifth. Oh, boy. Um I think the disappointment is immeasurable to do all that losing, play James Wiseman over Jalen Duran, and other wacky things to lose games and tank to accrue 17 wins and get stabbed in the back by the ping pong balls of the NBA. To pick fifth. Now, we've talked a lot about the draft throughout the season. Pretty much since the Piston season ended, which would have been, what, November, like, 20th or something. I think after I went to Detroit and watched Killian Hayes uh, have the worst half of basketball ever, the season was pretty much over. We've been talking about prospects since. It's a top-heavy draft. Wemby is in a tier of his own with the first overall pick. Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller are there, potentially in that second tier. Some people would say that the third tier are the Thompson Twins plus Cam Whitmore – I think that the distance between that second and third tier is not as drastic as some people are making it out to be, but it's certainly disappointing to be picking fifth. Um, There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, Aaron, since you're Mr. Conciseness tonight, (laughs) um, I'll, I'll let you go first. What were your initial reactions to Detroit getting saddled with the fifth overall pick in the 2020? It's just, it's absolutely devastating for what this team needs to accomplish. Uh, They have to find a way to take a significant leap next year. And dropping from one to five, I I mean, it's as, it was the worst possible outcome. Literally, it was the worst possible outcome for them. And, you know, I, I think. I believe in that kind of that that bad juju type stuff where when you're shutting down players in February in the beginning of March this is this is what you get and I know that's going to upset people it's going to trigger people whatever I don't really yep. care. I, Correct. I think I'm glad that you're self-aware of that it's it's it, it was 
bad on the Pistons to, to, to shut down Isaiah Stewart. It was bad on the Pistons to shut down Boyan Bogdanovich. It was bad on them to shut down every single player uh, that suffered any sort of injury for the rest of the year by March. And again, I know that's going to upset people, but I, I just, it's hard to believe that luck's going to fall into your favor uh, when you do that. And then people say, well, every other team tanked too. And it's like, yeah, they did, but Houston played everyone the rest, you know, the whole way. Portland was going for a playoff spot. They ended up shutting down guys when Anthony Simons, who legitimately got hurt initially, uh, got hurt in March and Jeremy Grant. And then Damian Lillard played all the way into the final week of March. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. San Antonio was bad, but they brought Devin Vassell back. They didn't shut him down for the season. Keldon Johnson played until uh, the last week of March and even played a game in April. You know, I'm not saying other teams didn't tank. Other teams didn't sit players. But expecting Lady Luck to, to fall into your lap when you were the team that most egregiously tanked, it's almost like what Oklahoma City uh, did last year, right? Oklahoma City tanked so freaking hard and did everything possible to put themselves uh, in a position to get the number one pick. And they got, they got boned in the lottery. And that's what happened to Detroit this year. So, you know, I, whether you think it's a conspiracy, whether you think there's something else that, uh, you know, caused that uh, to me, that's, I, I legitimately think that that plays a role in it. Um, it's, it's devastating. Having the opportunity to choose between, uh, you know, a, a Victor Wembanyama or Scoot Henderson you know, some people are going to say Scoop might be there at five. I'd say there's a very, 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 very slim chance. There's a very, very, very slim chance Brandon Miller's there at five. And when you look at the rest of the guys after that, this wasn't a draft class that I was in love with at the beginning. You know, to, for me, it was really one and two, Wembenyama and Scoot, and then everyone else. And, you know, when you start talking about the Thompson Twins, you start talking about uh, Jerace Walker, Cam Whitmore, all these guys that have some very, very severe flaws and limitations to their games right now. Uh, it's very hard to see the the Pistons getting a guy in this draft at this point that's going to come in and make the impact for them uh, that they really need to to find uh, this offseason if they're to make the leap that they're saying they're going to make. Yeah, see, Aaron, I'm, I'm really not nearly as doom and gloom about this as you are. Um, I, I think for me, well, I agree that I don't like out and out tanking in the way that the Pistons did it. Like I'm generally of the belief that you develop players and you develop chemistry by playing and you get better habits by playing and you get better by playing your guys together that are going to play period. I think that's the only way you can really grow as a team. We see it in the NFL all the time where like head coaches go all out, even when there is draft position on the line because those small incremental things within the season make a huge difference, even if it's just one game or in the case of the Pistons, two and a half months. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not anti-tanking for karmic reasons, but like I pointed out to people, whether the Pistons finished with the worst record in the league or the third worst record in the league, they had the same chances at the first, second and third pick, no matter what. So for me, you know, knowing that the number five pick was always the most likely pick for Detroit, that's simply why I'm anti-tanking. I just think that the improvements you can make with your players in that time are too valuable to pass up for, you know, a, a, a what, 2% less chance of picking the sixth pick. That, to me, isn't significant enough. Now, when it comes to the draft itself, 
I am actually a little more sold on on some of these guys that are going to be available to the Pistons. I'm totally in agreement with you, Aaron. Scoot Henderson, Victor Wabanyama, those are to me the gems of this class. Victor obviously is in a tier of his own. But I really do think that there is going to be somebody available for Detroit that can come in and not just make an impact in a year or two, but make an instant impact. Uh, it really now just comes down to what the Pistons want from that pick because they're going to have a litany of options. Uh, both the Thompson twins, you know, those guys project more as as guards. Eamon Thompson more in that like point shoot guard, shooting guard range. Asar more in that like small forward shooting guard kind of range. They also have Cam Whitmore, who is the same thing, kind of shooting guard, small forward. This is a team that needs a lot of help on the wings. And I think all three of those players can provide it. On the other hand, you also need an improvement at power forward. And between Jarris Walker and Taylor Hendricks, I think you have some incredibly intriguing options for really different reasons from each other. For me, I'm absolutely disappointed, but I'm not devastated because I didn't expect the first pick. And to be honest, if they got the second pick, I was not looking forward to, you know, a month and a half of debating whether Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller should be the number two pick. For me personally, I think it's obviously Scoot Henderson. I, I personally, like, I think Brandon Miller is more in the tier with the five guys that I mentioned, closer to that than he is to Scoot Henderson as a prospect. So for me, I think, look, there's always guys that rise at the last minute. There's always guys that drop a little bit. Shoot. I mean, Scotty Miller was a mid-20s pick until he went, what, fifth uh, fifth overall, right? To the Raptors. So there's going to be guys that are really, really skilled, really talented, and can step in and provide something uh, extremely significant to this team at positions of need, both at power forward and at the wing. So for me... Not nearly as doom and gloom as you are, Aaron. Mike, where do you fall? I mean, the disappointment is, like I said, it's immeasurable. I, I didn't expect the first pick either. In fact, we talked in the chat months ago about, about how seeing Victor Wembanyama in a Pistons jersey didn't even look right. We thought there's no way the NBA is going to allow that to happen. So I, I knew that it was an outside shot. I must admit, I was not expecting to pick fifth. I... I, th I think that is exceptionally uh, unfortunate given the 17 wins that Detroit accrued throughout the season. Um, I agree. I think there's still quality players there. I mean, the Thompson twins are still quality players, more projects than I think anything else, but certainly have the, the, the skill set to be impactful at moments immediately, but obviously more likely in the long term. Cam Whitmore is very enticing um, as that combo guard or, or a small forward. But it's just hard to – it's a hard pill to swallow that you're not getting one of the top three. That was the goal for me was top three um, because you're picking from – and I agree about Brandon Miller. I mean, there's so much smoke about Charlotte picking him too over Scoot because of fit next to LaMelo Ball. I would take Scoot Henderson. I, I, I mean, I know I'm not paid to be a NBA general manager, but I feel like Scoot and Lamelo would be fine. They'd be one of the most popular teams on League Pass as well, 
and anybody under the age of like 23 would be ecstatic to watch them every single night. Um, but you'll find a quality player there at five, of, assuming that the Pistons don't trade out, uh, which has been discussed as a distinct possibility. If they are hell-bent on making the play-in next year, then I think you're going to have to trade that pick. I don't know if you're going to have enough year-over-year growth, plus a pretty young player to to make the sort of moves that you need to make to make the play-in. If you think about a team like Orlando, a team like Orlando is going to be a lot better next year. They have 6-11 and 11 in this draft, plus growth from the Rookie of the Year. Uh, and they'll get their guards back, hopefully healthy. So you have to look at other teams around the Pistons that are going to be doing the same thing, competing for the play-in. I, I don't think you're going to get a player at five who's going to push you over the edge to play-in territory. You probably would have gotten closer if you had one through three. Um, but it's disappointing. But I think they'll still get an impact player at five. No matter what, it might just alter the timeline. Now, it's been reported by several uh, Pistons beat members that Detroit is more than willing to, or, or would be willing to, rather, trade the fifth pick. Um, Jasper, what do you think about moving back from five? I mean, I threw a couple ideas out in the chat. I don't know who's going to move for five, um, but would you trade out of the fifth pick if you can get a rotation-level player? Like, who would who would you have to be? What like range of player would you have to be within to move the fifth pick? It, it would have to be in that like Siakam kind of range. I know Siakam's been a guy that's been thrown out there for the fifth pick and like Bogdanovich, um, James Wiseman, something like that. I, I think it would have to be a player of that caliber, not necessarily an All Star, but like a borderline all-star who is going to help you at a position of need. Um, that is the type of guy I would need. I know you threw out something like Herb Jones in 14 for five. That to me does not, that doesn't sway me. I, I would need more than that. Uh, yeah. But like, but I love the idea of getting a Herb Jones type. You need to address the flaws in your team during this draft, period. And whether it's via trade, whether it is in the draft itself, it doesn't really matter to me. You have to address what you, as Troy Weaver, the GM, see as being A, your biggest need, and B, the most talented player you can get. So if the answer is you trade out of five for Pascal Siakam, great. If the answer is you stay at five because you think you can get a, a young player that is going to be of comparable quality and also help your team immediately i think you stay at five you know you can't just you can't just say well we set you know 2023 is the goal therefore we have to go all in in 2023 i know we've kind of gone at troy weaver for saying those kind of things in the past and being like i don't see how this roster is there but the fact of the matter is i would much rather him pivot and kick the can down the road for a year rather than go all in on a season by trading for a, a big money player, that's not going to get you to where you need to be. We've seen way too many teams make that mistake and it cripples you because now you have an additional contract that you have to get out from underneath. I'd much rather do something like pursue Tobias Harris in the trade market outside of moving a, a, this draft pick 
And if you can draft your own player and also get a player like that in, that to me is the best solution available to the Pistons. Hold on to this fifth pick, but perhaps see if you can figure something else out in the trade market for a power forward or a wing, whatever you're not addressing. Aaron, how do you feel about trading the fifth pick? Yeah, that would be my my first option if you're able to get the right package. Like, if you could put together a deal with, with the fifth pick and, and Bogdanovich and Wiseman for, for Siakam, like, I'll do that 100 times over. I mean, you're talking about an all-star. You're talking about a 25-6-6 guy. Um, just uh, if you're able to get a guy like that, you have to do that. You have to because – he is a proven all-star. I don't think it's going to be possible to do that. You know, even if Toronto does decide to to rebuild and tear things down and, you know, we'll probably know that sooner rather than later once they make their, their coaching hire. They've been linked to some assistant coaches looking for their first gig. They've also been linked to some coaches who have recently been coaches of playoff teams. So, you know, we don't know what direction they're going to go in yet, but if you can get an all-star level player like that, it, it would be hard to, to talk me out of making that deal, uh, especially just because I don't necessarily love the the crop of players out there, you know, that are, are projected to be there at five. I mean, you know, I have some thoughts on who I think as of now would be, you know, my, my, my favorite pick, but again, I, I don't think that they're going to end up equaling out what Pascal Siakam could bring to the table or another guy like that. You know, obviously it's not just, uh, Siakam. I know the Athletic posted some different trade uh, ideas uh, on Thursday uh, about this. So, if you can trade five for an All Star, I would certainly be interested in that. I, I don't know what type of package and what players really going to be available because we've also gotten reports that Portland's trying to trade out of three and Houston's trying to trade out of four. So, you know that tells you that. Teams don't necessarily love this group, don't necessarily love this draft, and are trying to find other ways to improve the roster rather than selecting, uh, you know, one of these guys that isn't Victor Wembanyama. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Aaron. And, and to be clear, if the Pistons can get Pascal Siakam for like the fifth pick, Bogdanovich and Wiseman, I am pulling the trigger on that immediately. Like that dude will make your team so much better. Uh, the only reason I think he's even being thrown around these trade talks is because Toronto completely overextended his responsibilities this year as, as a playmaker and scorer. And so, you know, he's getting dinged for being inefficient when the fact of the matter is like, he's not, if you, if you make him the, the second, even third playmaking option, second, even third scorer on your team, uh, that guy is going to be absolutely dominant. Like he is. Yeah, you're not getting – I don't think you're getting a player at five that's better than Pascal Siakam. I'll put it that way. And but it would have to – I don't think you're getting a Pascal Siakam for a package like that either. No, know? yeah, and to be clear, like, I, I think it's such a no-brainer that I don't think there's any way that Toronto would do it. But the fact of the matter is I would need a player of that caliber or around that caliber. Uh, you know, something like R.J. Barrett does not move me for the fifth pick because that's a flaw – he is a flawed player, and I think that there are – equally talented, flawed prospects that are going to be available to you at five. Um, should we get into some of these guys, like talk about who we like, who we maybe don't like? Uh, because I do think we should at least give an idea of of 
who the Pistons we would like them to take. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. I I don't want to you necessarily steal your thunder though, Jasper. I know you're gonna. I know who you like, and I want to let you give your thoughts on that before I say anything. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, man, if if you want me to cook, I'll take the ladle, baby. Let's go. Um, let's get a soup simmering. Yeah. So for for me, I like I said, I think there's five guys that are you know going to be a a real option with this pick. Maybe six if Brandon Miller falls, but I I don't know. I have a hard time seeing that, even with the reports of him not interviewing well and showing up out of shape to interviews. Right. I still think the talent is such that somebody is going to take a, a, a chance there, especially if like Portland is trading out of three. Um, somebody's going to be intrigued by Brandon Miller's talent. So for me, I, I think my ranking has to go Thompson Twins first. Uh, I know Asar, you know, more projects as the shooting guard small forward, whereas Eamon is more of a point guard, shooting guard type of guy. But for me, honestly, in the same way that it didn't matter to me, Scoot Henderson plays point guard. I don't care. These guys are six foot seven. They are absolute monster athletes. I believe they both have seven foot wingspans. Look, you bring either of them in. They are immediately going to help you athletically. They are immediately going to help you in transition. They are immediately going to provide a level of tertiary playmaking behind Kate Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. And I think most importantly, they are most likely going to be borderline elite defenders the second they step on an NBA court. The problem is that neither of them can shoot. And like Asar is the quote unquote better shooting one. He shot 29% from three. So that is certainly something that, you know, worries you a bit. But here's the other thing. They've been playing with an NBA three-point line. These college guys haven't. And so you actually, I think, have a better idea of what they can provide there. And I think they actually have a leg up on the other players available at five when it comes to their shooting development, simply because they have been taking longer threes for longer. Um if I'm taking a gamble there and I say, hey, I want the most talented guy available, I'm not thinking as much about fit or where they're at right now in terms of rawness. I think the Thompson Twins have to be up there. After that, this, this is going to sound a little crazy to people because I was not super into his game before a couple of days ago, but I think Taylor Hendricks out of UCF, it, that is the guy I'm also really intrigued in. Six foot nine, super long really good defensively averaged over a block and a half this game and he can both man up and play as a weak side defender I think that's huge even more importantly he shot 39 percent on 4.6 threes per game and for a team that desperately needs help defensively in the at, at the power forward position needs a power forward period and also needs additional spacing I think yeah he's raw He's small right now. He's, he's just too skinny. He gets bodied up too much. But the fact of the matter is he's a guy who can play in the post. He can also uh, take jumpers and he can defend at a high level. I think for me, that is so intriguing. If you can just bring along the underdeveloped parts of his game, you're talking about an absolute stud. Uh, and then I think it's got to go Cam Whitmore. My, my biggest issue with him he doesn't pass. And I know the Sadiq Bay comparison has been thrown around. I don't think they're accurate. Uh, I think he's a better shooter, actually, even though he shot worse than Sadiq Bay did in college. I also think he's just 
so much more explosive. You can't really compare the two in that sense. Ultimately, though, like a guy who doesn't create shots for others, uh, a guy who doesn't actually have a very good like catch and drive kind of game, he, he pauses way too much for my liking. And I'm not sure that he's going to grade out as like a highly above average defender. I'm not sure he's ever going to be a great shooter. I think he's a guy that can put up points, but like that to me is the least intriguing skill set of, of any guy that's available at five. I just guys who score at, at a high level in college, that to me is not something that I'm chasing at, with the fifth pick. I need a more varied skill set. And then lastly, Jarris Walker, I'll make this one short. Yeah. He can pass. Yeah. He can play defense. Yeah. He runs. Yeah. He's a great athlete. Yeah. He's got a big body. He's six foot six. And the fact of the matter is the Pistons already have too many guys who are six foot six, uh, you know, undersized power forwards who can't shoot. The Pistons already have one in, in Isaiah Stewart. I'm not comparing the two directly, but in terms of that, I don't know if that gives you enough of, of an upgrade. And I don't think that there's necessarily enough upside there either um, to pass over somebody like Hendricks or the Thompsons or even Whitmore who fit what you need a little bit more and have, in my opinion, a comparable level of talent. Yeah. So for, for me, if, if anyone's a, a big enough listener of this podcast, to the point where they've been listening, you know, for years uh, to the show, they'll likely know who, who I like the most, who I'm most interested in. And that's Taylor Hendricks. And you talk about a winglet size that can shoot and defend multiple positions that is the type of player that I gravitate towards. And for what the Pistons need, he's really their best option in that regard. Uh, 6'9", shot just under 40% at the college level last year, can defend three through five, uh, decent you know, rebounder at 6'9", just under two blocks a game. Like This is a guy that's going to impact the floor on both sides of the court. And you know, for, for, for what, again, what the Pistons need, you think back to last year, the, the biggest issue outside of Kate Cunningham being out was that they just did not have enough wing size. They didn't have enough wing shooting. They didn't have defensive-minded wings. And Taylor Hendricks is a guy that, you know, who's going to be 19 until November. That's a young prospect to, to try to help bend some of that issue with. And I look at what he did. I look at the way that, that he came up at UCF and, you know, there was talk and he had offers to bigger schools, but he went to a smaller school, benefited from playing a much bigger role. And, you know, I don't necessarily love comparing players at face value, uh, especially, you know, prospects with other prospects. But he, he he's kind of, to me, this drafts Jabari Smith Jr., where, you know, he doesn't necessarily have uh, the highest, highest potential, but he is certainly going to help you on both sides of the court. And it's feasible to think he's going to be able to do that. Uh, on both ends in year one. Uh, so for, for me, I, I think he's proven more than any of these other guys that, that we're really talking about. Um, the Thompson twins, their rawness, the, the lack of baseline that we have in evaluating what they did at overtime elite, uh, it worries me and, and they could be great. One of them could be great. And I, I look like a fool for not knowing it. And that's fine, but it's just so hard for me to evaluate them. And when you look at the lack of shooting numbers and, you know, they're just, they're, they're, their game's not as as refined as I'd like it to be. A guy like Hendricks makes 
sense for the Pistons for, for what they need. I'm not really interested in Jerace Walker or uh, I'm not, you know, I don't necessarily love Cam Whitmore. I think you said it best. Like he's not a guy that really looks to pass. He was really just a score, uh, you know, shot over 55% on twos, which is great, but wasn't a great three point shooter uh, at Villanova either. It's just, and he's another guy that's, you know, he's what six, six after he put shoes on six, six and a half at, at best. Again, the Pistons need size. They need wing depth. Uh, to me, Hendricks is a guy, as of now, I'm really starting to gravitate to as as the guy that could be, uh, you know, the best pick. And if a guy like Brandon Miller isn't there, who is kind of the the 1A of that type of player who could shoot and, and is a bigger wing and can defend, Taylor Hendricks is the guy that, that stands out to me. Yeah, I mean, like, look, every year, first off, like, my rankings are probably going to change. I'm, I have to watch more film. I got to watch more plays. It is what it is. I haven't seen nearly enough of the Thompson twins. So like, I am sure my, my list is going to change. And like Aaron, I, I think the more I look at him, like Hendricks is the guy I see as being most likely to jump into that top spot for me. I, I'm totally with you. Like I agree with everything you're saying here. The guy can defend. I honestly think he can defend one through five at like a reasonable level. If he gets switched on to point guards, like one of the things that makes me really intrigued about him, he jumped, he blocked a lot of jumpers on the perimeter, like three point shots this year. And I'm not talking like he just was sprinting into closeouts. Like he stayed on guys, stayed in front of them. They pulled up, he blocked the shot. And when I look at a, a defensive prospect, that to me really stands out at six foot nine. Like, that's a dude who is athletic enough to move around, long enough to block sh shots, and, and I think he has a lot of technique on that end as well. Like, I I'm really impressed by by his defensive versatility and ability. You know, if, if the shot is legit, and I think it probably is, like, he has good form, that is absolutely a guy. Like, we talk about the combination of talent and fit. He fits the mold pretty damn well, doesn't he? He does, and, and at 6'9", he does have that size. I like Hendricks, and I like Cam Whitmore. Jasper, I'm in the same boat as you. I have not seen enough of the Thompson Twins. They probably have the higher upside than a lot of the people in this group or this tier, um, but I just have to see more film of them, I guess, because you brought up a good point about the three-point line. Hendricks shot 39% from three last year. Um 15-7 and a assist and a half a game and almost two blocks a game for Taylor Hendricks. We're going to have a lot of time to talk about prospects in the next couple of weeks. The combine is going to probably change a lot of things for us as well. Um, some people are going to shoot up. Some people are going to fall down and things could change. You might be able to get Hendricks later in the draft as well. A few mocks I've seen have had him going anywhere between 9 and 12. Um so there's always an opportunity to trade down as well if the draft is moving in a certain direction. But we'll have a lot of time to talk about prospects as we move through May and June and headed into the NBA draft. Mike, I'll, I'll say this um, right now. He's not going 9 through 12. Every single year, there is a prospect that starts off being mocked in the mid-20s. Think Scotty Barnes. Um, yep. you know, you know, uh, Jonathan Isaac, one of those guys, it always happens where people go, Oh, they're raw. You know, they're a little, little undersized, blah, blah, blah. And then 
once you stop watching games and you start watching like possessions, individual possessions, people go, oh, wait, this guy is way more skilled than I thought he was. He's way more versatile than I thought he was. And those guys always end up going top five, six, seven. Like there's, I'm telling you right now, there's no chance Taylor Hendricks um, doesn't keep rising on. Yeah, that's why I was, I was seeing him in in these mock drafts at, you know, Mike, like you said, 9, 10, 11, 12 is like, I don't think this guy is the ninth best prospect in this class. I think he's more like the fourth or fifth. But, you know, again, as uh, we've all said in some sort of way, we have we don't have the best way to to evaluate the Thompson twins and haven't watched enough of them yet. So, you know, there's, there's certainly reasons why these, these guys that are doing these mock drafts at a professional level on a, a weekly, monthly basis, you know, there's a reason why they have them there, but I, I agree with Jasper that to me, there are one or two guys every draft season that go from, you know, 10 to in the 10 to 18 range that end up jumping into the top five, six, seven, eight, nine. And, and Hendricks is, is the guy to me that I think you look at the intangibles, you look at the numbers, how do you pass up on a guy like that uh, for, for some of these prospects who don't have the numbers, who don't have the intangibles and, and for a draft that lacks a, lacks a great deal of, of, of size for, for a team that's looking for a, a wing, like it's Brandon Miller, it's Taylor Hendricks. And again, the Thompson twins, Whitmore, all those guys are going to be six, 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 six and a half in shoes. You know, you're not really getting a, a, a big wing in any of those guys. The need for that, I think, as well, is going to play a factor in him jumping up because there's a lot of guards. There's a lot. There's a lot of six five, six six in this draft uh, in the in the lottery, but there's not a lot of six eight, six nine. It's true, um, and size matters for the Pistons. They they just don't have. Well, we've talked about it. They don't have really any wing, um, and by the end of the year, they really had no wing to play with all of them injured or mysteriously out. Mike, it's not um, the size of your wings that matters. It's how you use them. That's what I've heard. Of. Really? Have you heard that? <laughs> A couple times. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. And moving along, before we get into Daddy Troy Weaver impressions too fast, <laughs> um, we're talking a lot about players, uh, but we still don't have a coach. This is still don't have a coach um, to actually lead these players. And with the playoffs and some teams having their runs end, like Budenholzer with the Bucks, Monty Williams with the Suns, the Pistons have appeared to mostly stay the course. Um, Pistons owner Tom Gores over the last week or so now has met with Charles Lee, has met with John Collins, has met with Kevin Ali, and several other representatives um, seem to be wondering if the Pistons are going to reopen their coaching search. Both the ESPN and the Athletic, just to add salt in the gaping wound, uh, said that the Pistons would have shifted all their coaching resources towards a guy like Monty Williams if Detroit had landed the number one pick and been able to draft Victor Wembanyama. Obviously, that speeds up your playoff timeline, considerably adding a player of that caliber. Uh, but because they did not get Wembanyama, it doesn't look like, like Monty Williams is on the board for Detroit. I feel like Toronto or Milwaukee or 
Philadelphia probably better fits. Monty was an assistant coach for the Sixers. I feel like there's something there. The Pistons coaching search continues. Kevin Ali, Charles Lee, Jerron Collins seem to be the key names that have been repeated over and over again by the Pistons beat and at the national level as well. We talked a lot about coaches um, for a while since Dwayne Casey was moved to the front office. Guys, has, has your stance on the coaching carousel changed? And no, we're not going to talk about Doc Rivers. Please don't. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, all this reporting is interesting. Um, I'll say this, like, the fact that we're reading this report and saying Tom Gores, you know, didn't didn't walk away necessarily with the best impression or, or the greatest impression, wasn't blown away by any of these candidates is, is kind of scary that it's like, in my mind, I'm like, is, is Tom Gores about about to save the Pistons? Is, is Tom Gores, of all people, going to be uh, the voice of reason and saying, hey, maybe Kevin Ali isn't the guy for the job? Um, but at the same time, it's also like Troy Weaver is who you hired to be the general manager. You kind of have to let him pick his coach. Like, that's his job. His job is to, to, to build a roster, build a coach, you know, find the coach of this team. And it, it almost sounds like, you know, there's a disagreement there. Um, and I don't know that for a fact, but that's how it kind of reads. So it's not, you know, there's no no reporting in that that statement. But I think it's a good thing because I've been very vocal in not loving Kevin Ali. I've been very vocal in not necessarily loving Jerron Collins. I've said Charles Lee's my favorite out of that group. But if you can get Monty Williams and, and the fact that, and I don't know, how this is how this works for Detroit because the national reports of you know the Pistons were going to put all resources into the you know going after Monty Williams if they landed the number one pick. We were told the Pistons coaching uh you know the Pistons franchise was was one of the top coaching markets, was one of the most attractive coaching jobs available. And if that's true, why can't they compete with some of these other teams uh in getting these the top coaches that are available? Houston was able to get Ime Udoka right away. Houston was able to pull it off. Why can't the Pistons, if they're that uh, attractive of a job, if they want Monty Williams, why can't they go get him? Him and Troy work together in Oklahoma City. There is a connection there. And we know how much Troy Weaver values his previous relationships. So to me, I don't think the Pistons getting the number one pick or not should, should, should stop them from trying to get Monty Williams. And maybe it's as simple as, Monty Williams isn't going to wasn't going to go there unless they got the number one pick or wasn't going to consider them unless they got the number one pick. And if that's the case, fine. You know, if you were interested in him, I want to hear that the Pistons were interested in him and tried to court him. But if he said it's not the team, I'm looking to go to a, a team that can, can, you know, compete. That's a playoff team. How, how do you not go to Milwaukee? Right. How do you not go coach the best player in the league or one of the best players in the league? Sure. You know, I don't know what happens in Philadelphia. I think they're situation's a little bit murkier you don't know what happens with James Harden and if James Harden walks that becomes a little bit less of an attractive situation and if Harden walks does that do anything to Joel Embiid situation there I I just it was murky too yeah oh yeah and we already talked we don't know which way they're gonna go we don't know if they're gonna try to 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 put together a playoff team and and put some put move some guys around to go get something that's gonna help them in that regard and if they do Monty Williams makes sense but if they're going to tear it down, Monty Williams maybe doesn't make as much sense. So 
you know, I, I, I don't necessarily love that we're sitting here, you know, after it had been drilled into our minds, drilled into our heads, that it was going to be one of Lee, most, most likely Kevin Ali or Jerron Collins. And now we're sitting here and it's like, well, the Pistons now, after all this time, might end up reopening this because they're not necessarily confident with any other candidates. And that's why from the beginning, I was like, well, I don't necessarily love this group. None of these other guys are really getting uh, interviews outside of Lee. Maybe this isn't the best group. The Pistons should be looking elsewhere. Uh, it's it's not a great situation to be in. Dominoes are starting to fall. And I, th- I think if you're a coach, you're obviously going to choose to go to Milwaukee uh, over the Pistons. And uh, Monty Williams might be out of grasp for this team at this point. But, man, I'd love for them to put – whatever sort of pitch and whatever sort of contract together uh, to get him or, or Mike Budenholzer. I think one of those guys would be just an absolutely excellent grab for Detroit. Well, well, I just want to know why we're not talking about Doc Rivers. It's not Doc's fault. It's not Doc's <laughs> fault that, that, that Philly lost. It's the players. The players have to play, and they didn't play for Doc. So it's not his fault. Um, no. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, Mike. I have no interest in Doc Rivers and to be fair, Doc Rivers on the podcast. Yeah, we got, uh, we got Doc. It's Doc. (laughs) Anyway, um, I'm no Jamie Foxx. Sorry. I can't, I can't do it. I will say also, uh, our compatriot, uh, Zarek Turner does a killer Troy Weaver and a much better Doc Rivers impersonation than I do. Uh, we'll have to get him on here to to sort things out one of these days, but yeah, Aaron, I'm, I, I think we're probably all on lockstep on this. It's, it's a mixed bag because we didn't love the guys that were being thrown about. I, I think we all liked Charles Lee, but like, it's, I'm sorry. It's just hard to get really excited about an assistant because you, you haven't seen them be a head coach. And sometimes it's really just that simple from a fan perspective, when you're not able to sit in on these team meetings, when you're not able to be in the locker room, you're not able to be part of the interview process. We are obviously at a disadvantage there. So, you know, I'm with you. I didn't like Kevin Ollie and let's be clear. Like he was the front runner. That is who Troy Weaver was throwing out there as his number one guy from everything that I have heard. Obviously, Tom Boris doesn't feel the same way. And while I think that that is a little worrisome that the owner and the GM are apparently so far apart on who they want as the head coach that, you know, the three guys that met with Goris, he said no to all of them. I I think that's worrisome. But on the other hand, look, if you have the opportunity to reopen this coaching search and maybe get a guy that fits a little bit better, that is maybe a little bit more impressive I'm okay with that. You know, we, we, we've been saying it in terms of the draft as well. Like, I would rather you take a step back, reevaluate your options, and make a smarter move rather than rush into a decision and go, we need to get a head coach. We need to get a head coach. You don't want to wait too long, but, like, there are still guys available. Monty Williams is still on the market. Mike Budenholzer is still on the market. I don't like him, but Nick Nurse is still on the market. Chris Quinn is still on the market. I'm just saying. Um, Miami seems to be a pretty well-coached team, don't they? Just saying. So I I do think that there are better alternatives available to the Pistons that have been thrown about a little bit, but haven't been included in this three-man coaching 
search that will be available to Detroit. And look, if the Pistons are able to put together a reasonable offer for somebody, maybe they have to overpay a little bit. Maybe they have to promise some some things that they wouldn't normally offer to an assistant or Kevin Ollie. Okay, so be it. Like, but go get your guy and get a guy that you're really certain is the guy to take you to that next level from tanking to competing. That's that that's really the big that's really the big piece of it. You know, and Aaron and I talked about this couple podcasts ago, probably the last podcast I was on. What kind of coach do you want? Do you want a developmental coach? Do you want a guy who comes in with championship experience and has that mindset? That they they have to decide. And maybe getting the fifth pick and not getting one of the core three that we've talked about a lot pushes them into okay, maybe 2024, 2025 is our year. And they go for a developmental coach. But they they have to decide, um, and rather quickly. I mean, the draft is not terribly far away. I think now that the lottery has been decided, I think the coaching floodgates are going to open. Eventually, you're going to see a couple guys get snapped up. Um, but the Pistons have to decide what direction they want their coach to be. We're on the record for not being the biggest fans of Kevin Ollie, and I think that's understandable he's been linked to zero other teams with with openings and i think that's a little telling i think charles lee is a fine option comes from milwaukee comes from atlanta has been with bud has been around a championship and playoff team and he's also young enough to be a part of a team that's trying to build something i think detroit just needs to decide they need to decide what direction they're going to move in and maybe the fifth pick provided clarity but the longer they wait, the fewer options they're going to have, ultimately. Yeah, and I think Aaron brought up a good point, too, when he said, like, look, Emo Doka to Houston happened instantly. It happened within, a, I think, less than a week of them firing Steven Silas. So, yeah, I mean, like, you can say, hey, we don't want to rush into anything. But on the other hand, if the Milwaukee job had opened up, if the Philly job had opened up, if the Toronto job had opened up before they hired Udoka, who's to say that he would have been the coach of Houston? Who's to say he would have signed that contract? He might have held out and said, yeah. eh, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll go to Milwaukee. And even if it's not necessarily a thing where he would have been hired by those organizations, I think Houston probably would have had to have paid him more than they did in order to make sure that he didn't go to those organizations. So you know, it's it's a dangerous dance here. You don't want to rush into anything, but on the other hand, you also don't want to get priced out of the guy you want. And B, you also don't want to be the last person to make a hire and, you know, be forced to get somebody that you're not really into because all the other guys, you know, all the other organizations, that is, made their decisions quicker than you did and struck on the opportunity. Yep. Ultimately, that's uh, that's the position the Pistons are heading in. So hopefully we get some clarity soon on the head coaching search. Um, it's an important decision. The Pistons are at a bit of a crossroads where they can't be picking top five again next year. Although they really could be. But if that's the case, then heads are rolling. 
far more than Dwayne Casey being dismissed. You're seeing probably more sweeping changes. And I again, think, I think something sorry, go ahead, Aaron. get looked at here as well is the draft is a month away. The Pistons really need to hone in on the draft. The longer the like woes there lingers on, the longer that they have to go through the process of interviewing more candidates and going through all the legwork that comes with that, doing the negotiations, that's taking away from time and manpower that goes towards player scouting, player workouts. It's dividing people up who would probably be a part of one or the other, or that have to be a part of one or the other. And that's not necessarily great for this a team with a top five pick. You know, they need to be fully locked in on the pre-draft process. And the longer that this coaching search lingers on, the longer that cloud is over this team and the longer it prevents them from being fully able to lock in on the draft. And then right after that, free agency. Yeah, I feel like we're so far from free agency, but yet at the same time, we're not. And probably should have a coach in some sort of uh, (laughs) idea of what that's going to look like as you put together a playoff, or at least a hopeful play-in team. Jasper, any any last thoughts on coaching search before we wrap up this edition of the podcast? No, I think that's a great point by Aaron as well. Like every day you spend waiting to hire a head coach is – another day where you have less time to evaluate prospects and less time to discuss with your coach, because even though they're not going to be making the pick, they absolutely are going to be involved in the process and they're going to be involved in the free agency process. You know, it doesn't matter who you're bringing in, whether it's Kevin Ollie or Mike Budenholzer or Red Arbach's ghost. Like, I don't care. (laughs) That person is going to have something to do with who you're bringing in this off season. So the more time that you, I don't want to say waste, but spend on trying to figure out who your next coach is, is less time that you as a GM and Troy Weaver and that coach and the organization as a whole have to decide what they're going to do moving forward in what is, in my opinion, probably the most critical Pistons summer since they signed Josh Smith. Like that was, that was probably the last time where a summer has been so crucial and not just like the the franchise's health and where they're going, but the front office's uh, uh, future job security as well. Like you have to, you have to nail this draft. You have to nail this coaching search. You have to jar- nail free agency. There's no margin for error here for the Pistons. So the longer you take, I think the the worst position you put yourself in. But at the same time, you have to hire the right guy. So it's. Uh, we've said it before, but it's it's a difficult, difficult position the Pistons are in this offseason. We will see how they... Uh, Aaron, any closing thoughts before we wrap up this podcast? Oh, I think the next week or so is going to be really telling for, for, for the Pistons, right? Again, you'd think that they'd like to make this coaching search uh, uh, finalized as soon as possible, and if the Pistons are going to reopen this coaching search, I think we'd like to hear some news about that sooner rather than later. So 
obviously the next you know month or so leading up to the draft super super important for the Pistons uh there should be plenty of news rolling through and yeah, at this point there's just there's there's nothing more we can really do than just sit and wait you know we've talked about this 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 coaching search at nauseum uh we've talked about the different candidates that you know were available at the start of the process that have become available throughout the process you know unless there's another coach that's getting fired here in the next day or two uh the guys that are available are the guys that are available and the Pistons yep. have to make that decision. The Pistons have to 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 figure out who they want their next coach to be and and get the negotiation uh the, the negotiations done. So they need to get moving on this soon. I, I really don't think there's going to be any new coaching candidates coming out of the the woodworks any any further. I think the guys that are out there are out there, and if the Pistons need to reopen the search, they need to accept that and and and, and begin that process uh, again because you do not want to be doing this. Uh, uh, in, in, in a month from now, and you know, in June, June 15th, be making that coaching hire a week before the draft because that means you've lost a lot, a lot of time to this coaching search uh, when you need to be working on improving a roster that has a lot of holes, has a, ro- a lot of roster availability, and needs a lot of talent. Oh, I just got a text from a very well-placed inside source. Apparently, Eric Spolstra has been uh, saying behind Pat Riley's back that his hair looks stupid. Interesting. Uh, Pat, I hope you're listening. It might be time to make a change there. I you don't know, think you can trust this guy. a lot about Chris Quinn, right? You know, Miami would have their guy. True. I just wanted to, to bring up Chris Quinn. Yeah, uh, time to make a coaching change there. I don't, I don't think the team is responding well anymore. You know, what if they lose this Eastern Conference Finals? Eh, what an embarrassment that would be. Yep, I think it's time to hit the old dusty trail for Eric Spolstra and come back <laughs> to Michigan, just where his father came from. That's right, Michigan Connection. Come on, Pat. Are you going to let this guy talk crap about you? Don't let it, it is happen. an embarrassment <laughs> that, that Eric Spolstra has not received a Coach of the Year award. That is, it, 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 that's absolutely ridiculous. At some well, point, he's no... He's he's no Doc Rivers, I'll tell you that much. He's no top oh, no. fifteen coach of all time. You know, I was I was up on the list for a reason. So you know, I, I don't I don't care what uh, any former uh, video assistant has to say. Uh, you know, that's the reason <laughs> I'm paid like I am. So uh, I, I don't want to hear any more about it. Uh, that's right, Doc. Uh, you um, you tell him, you give him the business. My Aaron, what has this podcast turned into? <laughs> I love how both of our uh, reactions were to call on one another there. Um, right, right. Yeah, that's always like, like somebody just thing. broke into the podcast and is like breaking <laughs> glass and yeah, the studio's under speed. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, now the, the the days of um, rolling into talk of Mitch McGarry and uh, Steve Blake are long gone. It, it's turned into right. a impersonation corner at the end of the show. Uh, <laughs> it's been replaced by SNL skits. Mitch, Mitch McGarry. Actually, it's funny. I smoked a joint with Mitch McGarry. That's why my voice sounds like this now. <laughs> That's some strong stuff right there. Let me tell you. You know, I actually think Doc would be fine in in like uh in like a TV setting. Take a couple years off. Do you like the Stan Van Gundy? Oh no, he's he's the man. I would I love hearing Doc call games like 04 Pist like the the 04 Pistons championship team. He was the the color guy for that playoff run. Dude, he rocked. Like I I've rewatched some of those games and Doc is just 
freaking awesome on commentary. Yeah, like SVG. Like, I think the game's passed him by to a certain extent. But, yeah, Doc, please go to ESPN. Please so. Like, please call games. I'm I'm actually begging Doc Rivers, call basketball games, because that is what you are still awesome at, I think. Um, and coaching is it, – it ain't it, fam. So. Well, well, he's in your apartment. You could just tell him to yeah. go and – Join the TV broadcast. Um, <laughs> um, no, actually, I um, I have Doc Little. How do you say, tied up right now? Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, guys, I don't know what's going on here. I think we need to end this podcast. Things it's are descending. devolving. Is it is it like hot in your apartment or something? I was really expecting you to say, "Sorry, guys, I'm a little high yeah. right now." That um, that would have been the send off that uh, we really I, needed. It might be a little warm. I have a lot of. Candles lit right now. Mike, we definitely need to wrap up here. We have to please. Have to God, it. save okay. us. This is terrible. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, I want to see how long he could stretch that out. Um, and it was already too far. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Palace Pistons podcast, part of the Believe Network. We hope you'll join us over the next couple months. Jasper said this is a pretty important offseason, and we're going to be covering it in great detail and we also have some season wrap-up stuff i know that's the exact thing everybody wants to read uh, is about the pistons positions in review uh, while the lakers and nuggets and heat and celtics are battling for the nba finals uh, but we do have some season review content as well we certainly encourage you to check that out palacepistons.com and uh, join us next week when hopefully the pistons have a, a better idea of who their head coach is going to be so we'd like to thank our sponsor, Bet Online, once again. Promo code BLEAV at the Bet Online website. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Thank you again to Bet Online for being sponsored this week's podcast. For my co host, Jasper Apollonia and Aaron Johnson, I am Mike Angolano. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast. And we will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.